Our Father, we do need you now. We need you more than ever. This life sure has a way of throwing things at us, and God, in it all, we need you. We need you even when the things are going well. Maybe we even need you more desperately at that time. But God, we choose to come to you at this time. We choose to lay down everything else that we've been going through, whether it's good or bad, tough or easy. God, we choose to bring these things to you, and we choose to come to you now. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. God, as we uh, confess to you, there are things that we've done against you, and we choose to confess those things to you as well. So as we continue in our time together, may you speak to our hearts May you make us more like you want us to be, God. We need you more than ever. And we praise you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How beautiful is the name of Jesus. The songs we got to sing, to just declare to him who he is. Man, it's so great to be in this place worshiping with you, then ending at the place of just declaring to God that we need him. This is the reason we gather week in and week out to declare to God who he is, how amazing he is, and to come to a place as broken individuals marred by sin and say, we need you. We need you to come in. We need you to redeem. We need you to lead us because we are so far from you. As self-righteous as we think we may be in our relationship with you, we are still so far from you. So that is the reason we gather in this place this morning is to declare the name of Jesus and to be able to move forward and just knowing him and allowing him to convict our hearts of where we are far from him so that he could lead us to himself so we can find great joy in serving him. That's why we gather week in and week out as a church. Uh, this morning, our conversation, our topic, I'm going to be extremely honest with you. Um, it's one that brings me a lot of nervousness. Uh, I'm just going to call out right out of the gate that um, the topic of the refugee crisis has so many political uh, draws and pulls, and there's so many people who have so many different emotions on all sides of the spectrum I'm going to be the first to say to you that I love the country I live in with our democratic system to where we have two parties. There are some verses that say we only need one party. No, I think the two-party system where people are continually arguing and fighting about these things is good. If we only had one party, I think we, were, we would be in a place of, of destruction. So arguing about these things challenges us and it lets us see things in a different way. And there are many individuals in this room who believe different things politically. And that is okay, and it is good. But if we as a church want to continue to declare the name of Jesus, we cannot be led by the voices of our um, culture. We can't look to Fox News. We can't look to CNN. We can't look to BuzzFeed, as true as it may be, or Wikipedia. Or we, uh, we can't look at YouTube videos. We can't allow those places to drive who we are as much as we allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to drive who we are. We don't just invite him into our beliefs in the way that we live. We let him steer the way that we think and with the way that we believe. And so that is the whole point of today. I do not want to try to sway anyone how to think politically or tell you how to vote because uh, that is not my job. 
My job is to look at the word of God and say, God, who are you driving us to be as your children, as your adopted children redeemed by you? What do you want from us? And I hope that we can just see that from scripture today and just be able to um, uh, hold ourselves open-handed, that he can continue to speak himself into who we are. And we let his name be great, not the name of Harvest Community Church or Jordan Young or Matt Garino or whoever it is, because those names will perish but God's names will not perish. So that's what we're looking to. And um, before we, we venture into this journey, I do want to pray. I pray for myself. I ask that you pray for me, um, that I would just be the voice of God, that I would not be the voice of my own, um, and that you would also be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we, as we continue to journey together today. Let's pray. God, your name is greater than any other name on planet earth. Any name that has been or any name that will ever be. Jesus, it is at your name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And in this space today, that's what we want to declare. God, and if there's any other thing that we declare in any realm of the spectrum, we pray that you would just put it down in our hearts and that you would magnify yourself and that you would fill our hearts with who you are, with your great compassion, with your great love, and with your great truth, and that we, God, may be led by your spirit. God, thank you for making me a learner, someone who always wants to be convinced that what I believe is wrong because I want to live consistent. I want to be live consistent for you, and I pray that that is our posture today, that we would just want to hear your voice. God, we love you, and we believe in you, and it's your name we declare today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what I'd like to do for uh, the first part of our time together, I want to put faces, uh, real people behind some statistics that maybe we have heard out in the media or as we're walking the streets of Hillsboro and talking with coworkers and stuff. So let's put faces to the people we're talking about today. And then what I would like to do is end by just looking at the gospel and saying, who is God? Who has God been throughout history? Who does he want to continue to be? And how do we put ourselves in the place of, of God uh, and God's working so that we can continue to be his hands and feet to make his name great in our world. So let's just journey together in that. So with that, let's just get right out of the gate and talk about some of the facts that, that we know, is that we know that um, they call this time in, in history a refugee crisis is because there's over 65 million refugees all across the world today. These refugees come uh, from, from places in the Middle East as, uh, as well as in North Africa, places like Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and so on and so on and so on. These people who find themselves as refugees are individuals like you and me who have been created in the image of God like you and me who have found themselves persecuted for one reason or another. The only way that someone can declare themselves as a refugee is if they are facing persecution. There are many refugees who flee their countries because they are followers of Jesus and their lives are in danger. There are other people who flee their countries because um, of the oppression and the war that is going on and their cities are being leveled and they need to free, flee. 
There are so many reasons that we can't even touch on all of it, but what I would like to do is just to put a face to the conversation that we have. These people are doctors. These people are teachers. These people are nurses. These people are engineers. A lot of them very well educated and find themselves in a very unfortunate situation. A lot of them are moms and a lot of them are dads. There are many children involved. So what does it look like for a refugee when they flee their country and they just try to find safety somewhere? I've done a ton of reading this week, and I am far from an expert in this. So if you have different knowledge than me, please don't hold me to the nuts and bolts of, the, of every fact that I give. But I've read many different areas, and I've heard from people that we are in relationship with who are missionaries on the field and, and their experiences. So that's where the, uh, these stories are coming from. So a refugee will find themselves persecuted in their country, and they will flee to uh, somewhere that will allow them to just be safe. And this place that they reside is not their final home. They run to places like Greece, and they run to other places, um, and, uh, and they try to, to just survive every single day. And then they try to get into a country where they could be a permanent refugee and be able to, to establish a new life. Currently, there are over 57,000 refugees in Greece right now and over 40 different camps that are there. And that is just one country and, uh, and also one city within that country, which I want to dive into today. These refugees who find themselves in these camps, these camps are, um, one of them is a baseball field that was used in the Olympics in Athens is now converted to uh, a refugee camp. There are buildings that are abandoned that are now used as refugee camps. There are uh, beach resorts, as amazing as it sounds, it's not as amazing as what you're going to think in your head, beach resorts that are abandoned and they're full now of refugees looking to have permanent status somewhere. And these people who have fled their country they cannot go back to the country they just fled. If they get sent back because they have left, they will be killed. So literally, these image bearers of God are in danger. And so their journey as they're in these camps, it could take up to three to ten years of them living in these camps or moving around from camp to camp until they're able to get into a country and establish themselves as a permanent refugee. There is a missionary that we support and who, are connect, who we are connected to who serves in Central Asia. Her sending organization is uh, from Greece, and they have called her out of her mission field recently to go spend a few weeks in Greece and work as a translator in some of these refugee camps. Her stories are amazing. Not just in what she is able to see with her own eyes, but what God is doing in these camps of people who feel so unsettled. And there's, for many of them, no hope for them to have a future anytime soon in an establishment. This missionary that we support, she tells an amazing story. Specifically, one day she was walking out and... Um, 
she was walking towards a building that uh, was a, they, they, she described it as a squatter um, anarchist camp. So in other words, this is an abandoned building. She describes the windows being blown out, like it's not anything that has any, um, I'm not sure if there's running water or not, but just imagine a building that's been totally abandoned, and this building is now full of refugees. She uh, met a guard at the front door, and the guard invited her in to see his family, and then she had tea with his family, wife and four daughters. She was asking their stories. She says that they love to tell their stories of how they've got there and what their experience has been. Got to hear the hardships of the journey and what they look forward to as they continue to wait. She said they started talking about freedom and started talking about spirituality. One of the daughters have, has read the Bible before. And this missionary was able to speak to this family, say, hey, in a couple of days from now, there's this class going on, this seminar that's right down the street, and it's going to be people like me who are gathering together to talk about our stories with Jesus, and I just want to invite you out. And they said, sure, we'll come. The day of the event, three days later, she met the, um, this family at the train station, wherever they, when they, wherever they arrived, she walked with them into this event. There were um, so many people in this event, and she had a task of translating, so she lost sight of, of these people as they were there, so she didn't get to hear their story immediately of what the impact was. But the next day, as she woke up and she went um, into the, the refugee camp again, uh, she walked with a medical uh, person who was uh, walking into the same building she went in before where she met this family. So she she did her job, and then she stopped by the door to just meet this family and just say, hey, what was your experience like? And the story that she told from here on out blew my mind. The, the wife said, you'll never, you'll never guess. I had a dream last night. I had a dream last night that, that I was being um, washed over from head to toe. Her words were that she felt like she was being washed of all of her filth in this dream, all of her stress, all of her sadness, all of her sins, and that she was given new clothes and preparation to be married, to be a new bride. And her missionary, not knowing exactly what she was speaking, didn't want to read in between the lines, said, tell me what you mean by that. And clear as day, she said to her, I accepted Jesus 100%. Man, God is working and redeeming in the midst of these tragic situations. God is making his name great in a really difficult situation, and he's using his followers to do it. I share this story to paint a picture of what's happening across the world to share to you an amazing story of love. We, as comfortable Americans, we tend to, to fear things that are different than us. Let's start simple. Remember back when you were in kindergarten, first grade, seventh grade? Boys, didn't you fear girls? Uh, yeah, getting real, aren't we? That's right. Girls, you feared boys. So 
somehow I skipped over that. I was chasing girls whenever I was in the kindergarten. But anyway, uh, most people fear because they see them so differently. Adults, many of you fear middle schoolers because you don't understand them. And middle schoolers, you fear adults because you don't understand them. It is a natural place where we go to. This is where we're naturally bent. Those of us who have a home, we fear those who are homeless. I'm guilty. I was driving this week, and there was a, a man sitting on the corner. I didn't know what to do. And in my car, my rearview mirror, um, I was already halfway riding this sermon, my rearview mirror covered him up, and I felt at ease. I didn't have to look at him because I just felt so much guilt, and I was like overwhelmed with, God, why do I feel this way? Because there's so many emotions going on. And I'm someone who's compassionate towards the homeless. I spend much time downtown working with the homeless with Bridgetown Ministries. We're all guilty of being afraid of things that we don't understand or things that make us uncomfortable. Racial tensions derive from fear. Citizens fear aliens. We tend to fear things that we don't understand. I share this to cause us to realize that we all struggle on some level. We've all seen or read stories like the movie Patch Adams or like the book of Mice and Men where innocent people die at the hands of people who just aren't quite sane or have gone through a difficult journey. And sometimes that causes us to just crawl into our shell and fear, uh, and fear what might happen. What, what if I venture into the unknown, someone that just doesn't look right, and uh, if I put myself out there, I could end up X, Y, Z, dead or in trouble or whatever. I think there's lots of wisdom that comes with the choices that we make, and we, but we cannot be driven by fear. God has created us for so much more. If fear is at the center of any choice that we make, hear me well when I say we don't know God. God makes that very clear in Scripture. There are many verses. I did a word search in Scripture this week of, uh, of all um, the places where it talks about fear. And in my software, there were 22 pages of verses after verses after verses that talked about it. And here are just a few of them. Actually, I'm going to go back to that. That's a picture of the, um, it's not the exact place that our missionary was in, but like the place where our missionary was in, a room full of tents and stuff. Anyway, moving on. Verses centering on fear. Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 18, 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Isaiah 44, 8, fear not, be, uh, nor be afraid. There, uh, is there a God besides me? There is no rock. There is no other. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. 1 John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. No fear has to do with punishment, uh, sorry, for fear has to do with punishment, for whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If we allow ourselves to be crippled in fear in these moments, we do not know God, because God says that I am beyond all fear, I am above all fear. 
reminds you there are smart choices we can make and there are dumb choices we can make. But if we are walking in the Spirit, listening to who God is in the moment, fear does not drive us even if it ends with our lives being over. Because His name is what's great in these moments. We cannot be driven by fear. We have to realize that from God's point of view, we are the ones who are different. From God's point of view, we are the others. We are the ones that God should fear by our own definitions. Do you realize that we have been extremely rebellious towards God's nature? Every single day, no matter how committed you and I are to follow Jesus, we um, are totally rebellious to who he is, and we choose ourselves over him. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are all hypocrites in our own rights. That is why we need to be reminded week in and week, off, uh, week, in and week out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God should be the one who pushes us aside and say, I want nothing to do with them. But Romans 5.8 says to us so beautifully and perfectly that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He reached out to us, the other, the one that he didn't quite understand metaphorically, and he brought us back to himself. And he says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to live in you and through you for my namesake. So for the things that we don't understand, we cannot be driven by fear. We must be driven by love because it's in that love that God wants to make himself known. Again, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fears. As gospel-driven people, it is my hope to just blow wide open what we think and what we know about this crisis at hand and learn how God wants to use gospel-driven people to bring glory to his name. And first and foremost, it starts with us recognizing that we've been part of the problem. Because all of us are selfish. All of us love our comfort. Unless there is an, a crazy awakening that sends us out, like the missionary that we support, we all struggle with this. Whether it's because we've been driven by fear, or if it's because we've been so apathetic, or we've turned a blind eye, or if it's been our pride that this has all been about, we've contributed to a problem. Secondly, we need to be driven to see the issue through the lens of the gospel. What God has done in history will make himself known, and he could be doing something huge right here and right now. So for our last part of today, what I would love to do is just walk through God, his story throughout history, and ask, what could you be doing right now? Four quick things first thing I want to land on. We need to understand and we need to know that God is sovereign over all things. As a side note, for these next four points, I'm going to litter you with scripture and we'll read some of them. I'll paraphrase some of them. I encourage you to be writing these things down so that you can go back and read them thoroughly on your own. But we need to see God in the big story. There's a reason because we don't have the time to, to go through each one of these intentionally and very, very strategically. So more of a systematic approach to, to viewing this. Number one, God is sovereign over all things. Do we believe that? That's the first question. And the second question is, is do we live in such a way that we believe that? 
We can read Job 1 and Job 2 and see all the calamities that come upon Job and see his reactions, if you're familiar with his story. If you're not, take time to read those two chapters, and you won't be able to put the book down because the story is so beautiful and so great. But what we learn in that story is that God is over all comfort, and God is over all destruction in our own lives and around us. We see Satan and God interacting within this story, and God is sovereign over all of it, a beautiful picture of who he is in the midst of this. Also, one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Colossians chapter 1. We see the supremacy of Christ in history and in all things. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let's just pause there for a second and remember what happened in Genesis 1-1, that God created all things, that it all started from God. Everything that we see, everything that exists in our world, everything that is governed by time, think about it. We cannot escape time. We are all driven by time. But God, being outside of time, created everything. So therefore, he is the Lord of all time. He created everything that we see, and he is supreme over it. It continues, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Not only do we see that God is supreme above all things in this scripture, we see what his mission is in this, and that is to bring all things and all people to himself through the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Remember, we are the ones to be feared in God's eyes, correct? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. There are many places beyond these two passages that declare God as sovereign over all of creation. That must be our beginning point when we look at our world that surrounds us today. Driving from that, moving over to a second point, that God, being sovereign, oversees the movement of all people. Let's just look back at Jewish history. Let me say that again. Let's look back at Jewish history and see what God has done. Wasn't it God who brought the nation of Israel to Egypt and they stayed there for over 400 years? And is within that 400 years, they became a nation. They became strong. They were, they were very much uh, dependent upon each other. 
We know the story continues, and they became slaves in Egypt, and they experienced extremely um, difficult hardships. And don't we know that it was God who redeemed them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land? Through lots of difficulties, our story continues, right? But that is God who is supreme over the movement of these people. Fast forward 400 years, and we have King David, who has his son Solomon, who becomes king after David. And it is through the the sins of Solomon that the kingdom was divided and brought into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And as history progresses, it is God who led them out of the promised land to be exiles in either Babylon or Assyria, right? God makes it very clear throughout the Old Testament. It was his hand that did that for specific reasons and for specific purposes. And the ultimate purpose was to make his name great. So absolutely, God oversees the movement of all people. And one of my favorite stories starts in the New Testament. After Jesus has walked the earth and he has died and he has resurrected um, and he has not yet ascended into heaven, he sits with his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he promises to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you will be my gospel or you will represent my gospel and you will spread out through all the nations and you will make my name known all throughout the entire earth. We know what happens in Acts 2. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit falls and it is a very beautiful and confusing and beautiful thing that happens right there in that part of scripture. And we see God's unfolding story. And the um, disciples are feeling extremely comfortable there in Jerusalem, preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Lord knows there were so many people that needed to hear it. But God said, do not get comfortable here. I have greater purposes and plans for you. We read in Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen, who was one of the first deacons of Scripture. He gets imprisoned He proclaims the gospel to the Jews who are against him. And we know that Stephen is the first martyr, the first person killed for the name of Jesus. And he stands strong for the gospel in that. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, tells us an amazing part of this journey. And Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, approved of his execution And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering into the house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. God allowed Saul and the Jewish leaders to persecute the church so that the church would flee, so that they would go to Judea, so that they would go to Samaria, so that they would go to Rome, and so that they would go beyond Rome, and the gospel would reach you and me here in the United States of America. God said this needed to happen, and he was the one who was in the movement of all of that, making it known so that he would scatter the church, so that churches would be present all throughout the world. God is beautiful and great in his design. Sometimes we understand it, sometimes we don't. 
Could God be doing something now? Historically, the United States has received, on average, 50,000 refugees annually. This is on a fiscal year. So during this fiscal year, 2017, we have received 32,000 refugees into the United States. I'm not talking about the ban that is here and what is for and what is against, but I'm going to, what the United States has committed to is about another 18,000 by the time that all of this is over that, that we're saying it is okay that they come here. And those are the ones I want to focus on in our conversation today. Portland, Oregon is a sanctuary city where many people are, are coming to. And we have an opportunity to be the gospel of Jesus Christ right in our own city. Think about this. This is all speculation. This is all what if because we're standing right here and right now in history. But seeing the way that God works, majority of these people, the 65, 000, or sorry, 65 million refugees, come from war-torn lands that are predominantly Muslim. Try to get a missionary into those Muslim countries, and you put that missionary's life in danger, which is why we talk in vague terms when we talk about our missionaries there. But we also uh, uh, see just how difficult it is to spread the gospel. What if? What if God is doing something so great that he is causing destruction to come in the Middle East and North Africa, which is sending out the people who have just been, uh, in, uh, just been inundated with lies about who we are in the West and who Jesus is and the gospel is, and now they're fleeing their countries and they're coming to us. And we get an opportunity to get to be Jesus for them, get to represent something that they've been lied to their entire time in their homeland, and we get to love on these people for or against, they're here. What are we doing to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't know if you've read Matthew 28 lately, uh, verses 18 through 20, but that is the great commission that Jesus has given you and to me and to all churches in the future. He says, all authority on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. God oversees the movement of all people. When and where do we get to be the representatives of Jesus Christ? Third, God calls his church to care for his people. I love what God says about himself in Scripture. This morning I was reading with the worship team, um, Exodus 34, verses 4 through 6. I'm sorry, 6 through 8. This is a part in scripture where Moses is going up to Mount Sinai with empty stones. The stones with the Ten Commandments have not been written on yet. And he goes up to the mountain and God interacts with Moses and God declares who he is. In scripture, it says, God says this about himself. He declares his name to Moses and the Lord says, I am the Lord, the Lord. I am Yahweh, Yahweh. I am merciful, I'm compassionate, 
I am slow to anger, and I am abounding, I'm abounding in love, in my steadfast love. This is who I am. This is my nature. And yes, um, I will not let unpunished, or I will not let sin go unpunished. So for those who come to me, who those who receive my love will experience mercy and um, steadfast love for the rest of our days, but he will not let sin go unpunished. So if the guilty will be so far from experiencing and feeling that. So God has called us to represent him to those who don't know him. He's called us to be a social people. I was taught early on that the gospel is not social justice. But, oh, sorry, hold on, I want to say this right away. The social, uh, sorry, the gospel is, the social justice is not the gospel, but the gospel, there you go. Social justice is not the gospel, but the gospel is social. We can't just be busy and do things to, to make ourselves pleasing in the eyes of God. That's not what makes ourselves pleasing. But because of who we are in Christ, we make God pleasing by the way that we are social and we, the way that we interact with those who are vulnerable and those who are in need. Um, Matthew 25, 34 through 36, Jesus is painting a picture of judgment of heaven of the final judgment and in this passage of scripture he says that in glory there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats the sheep are the followers of jesus and the goats are those who have re rejected the name of jesus and i love in this passage um, whenever uh, he says um, the king says to those on his right the king being jesus capital k said to those on his right the sheep come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me in i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him Oh man, what a beautiful response by the followers of Jesus, by the sheep who are hearing uh, um, the, the Lamb of God doed over them, their compassion for those. Their response to him is, when did we do this? When did we do all of these things for you, Jesus? In other words, we didn't do it intentionally to make you happy. Tell us when this actually occurred. And Jesus so beautifully said, when you did this for the least of these, you've also done them for me. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not to work our way into salvation, to prove something to God that we are faithful servants, but as a natural response to what God has done for us, being rich in mercy and slow in anger and compassion and abounding in love, we share that to other people that are around us, to the vulnerable, to those who are in need. 
Yes, to those in the church. And you may say to me, Jordan, that's a great passage of scripture, but that's regarding people serving people in the church. And you're right, it is. But when we we don't see a grander story in Luke, whenever Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, then we're, we're losing half the story. Jesus doesn't call us just to serve each other and be a good social club here. He calls us to make his name great beyond these four walls. So... God's sovereign over all things. God oversees the movement of all people. God calls his church to care for people. And lastly, the gospel, uh, um, gospel compassion must be rooted in gospel love. The point of this is not to convince you to go serve with refugees here in Portland. The conversation is to say, let's put faces to the statistics and let's think rightly of of the people who are here as image bearers of God. My call to us this morning as we're hearing this, if God is speaking to you more into general terms, what the call is for us is to do ministry where the Lord has you. That is what your call is. Is it your neighbors? Don't be driven by fear because your neighbors are crazy. Is it your workplace? Don't be driven by fear in your workplace because you're afraid to look one way or another or be viewed in a certain way. Don't be afraid to lead your family who may know Jesus or may not because of the awkwardness that it feels and the way that it may divide you as a unit. We must do gospel ministry where the Lord has us. And my call for all of us in this room is we must be broken for things that are bigger than us. Our hearts must break for those who are less fortunate, who are vulnerable, for who, who can't advocate for themselves. My wife and I went through a time, it must have been 10, 11, 12 years ago, where God laid on our hearts and said, uh, just be asking and praying for something bigger than yourselves. And that's how we got, inter- we got uh, introduced to the ministry that's going on in Haiti. It's because God laid it on our hearts. Do ministry where you're at. Don't do what I'm trying to tell you to do. Do what the Lord is leading you to do. But gospel love must be proclaimed. Gospel love is not just actions, though that's a huge part of it. When necessary, we must use words. The gospel must be proclaimed. The missional vision of Harvest Community Church will lead us to serve the vulnerable. And that's how I want to end our time together today to say, how do we serve the vulnerable? What, what now? Um, in regards to refugee care, what now? What for us? We need to give. I'm not talking about your financial resources. Maybe that's it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I think we need to give our hearts to those who are vulnerable and who are in need. We have um, come alongside an organization called Refugee Care Collective as a church. Many community life groups have been talking about this for about three to four weeks now. This is a ministry that was birthed out of a Jesus church. It's a gospel-centered ministry that is serving refugees right here in the Portland area. And our community life groups are making these restart kits Just imagine someone getting off a plane in PDX, never stepping foot in the United States before, and their new home is Portland. And they walk across the 
the, the airport area there. They get into a car and they end up going to their brand new place of living. They don't know anyone. They may not even speak the language. And uh, it is an extremely scary place because everyone where they have grown up has said something about people who live in the West. Just imagine what mental stress may be there. This refugee care collective is committing to provide for the physical needs of people who are showing up at their new home. We're going to give them their supplies and say, in the name of Jesus, we give you these things. They do so much more than just provide these restart kits. They provide family mentoring as families are looking to integrate. They're teaching English as a second language to help them understand the language. So there are ways that we can give from our hearts and also financially if the Lord is putting it on your heart. We're not passing any plates today, so this is not a special offering call. Secondly, we must go back to Scripture. We must see who God is all throughout history and declare who God is in our own hearts so that he may move us to love people more than we love ourselves. Thirdly, we must serve locally with organizations like uh, Refugee Care Collective or other places like that. At minimum, what I pray and what I hope is that we're able to see this conversation in a gospel way. Everything that I've been reading leading up to our sermon today is pastors declaring to other pastors, this is a conversation we need to have. 11% of people are led to think about this in a gospel-driven way. We gotta be seeing it through the, the lens of Jesus. Advocate for those who are vulnerable. When people are speaking about them in a way that uh, degrades the Imago Dei, that degrades their image of God, I just ask that you remind people, hey, these are people created by God just like you and me. Believe what you will, but let's treat them like human beings at minimum. Advocate. And lastly, we must pray. And we'll do that here in a few minutes. Pray for God to redeem and to rescue, to make his name great, and to use us if he so chooses. Remember, we are the ones who are broken. We are the ones who need redeemed. We are the others in God's eyes. And we must represent him well to those who are feeling isolated from our society. Let's pray. God, I pray that the words that have been spoken are ultimately not my words. I pray that the way that we have seen you flow throughout Scripture has allowed us to be able to maybe think differently than we've been challenged to think before. I pray that you would continue to use the words that you have said to continue to rest on our hearts and draw us not to be people driven by fear, but to be driven by love. And I am trusting you with all the information that has been laid out that you will lead us faithfully. Lead us to good, healthy debate and conversation. May the church be a safe place to agree to disagree, but always land at the gospel. Because your name is worthy. Lead us as we sing to you, as we lay our hearts before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.